Spring football is here. What are Dan Lanning's top three priorities for Oregon football? And some more thoughts on some depth chart stuff. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Appreciate everybody who has done so already. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And I'm doing today's show with my man Max Torres, who covers the Ducks for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. He's big on the recruiting beat. He's got access to practices and all this sort of really exciting, fun stuff, which is why we love bringing him on. He's also kind of a cool guy, just like kind of, you know, I'm mostly the other stuff. Second thing is secondary and whatnot, but it's been uh, far too long, Max. So we had to get you back on the show. Welcome back. Well, thanks for having me on, Spencer. Appreciate the the nice intro. Always uh, excited to come on here and, and talk some ducks. And there's finally some football to actually kind of talk about, sort of, pictures, snippets, tidbits, quotes, all that sort of good jazz. But spring football getting underway, Max, as the coaching staff, put on your coaching thinking cap for a moment, as they go into spring football, what do you think Dan Lanning's top three priorities are? Yeah, there's a there's no shortage of you know areas we could go here. Been a really eventful off season from a personnel standpoint, both players, coaches, analysts. But uh, if we had to break down just a top three, uh, I'm gonna say uh, shoring up the pass rush or you know developing the pass rush uh, a step further. We know that was obviously an area Oregon was lacking last year. Bring in Jordan Birch, which should definitely help from South Carolina. Uh, I'd also say uh, kind of figuring out the cornerback spot. Um, it almost feels like, um, I wouldn't say back to square one, but um, Christian Gonzalez is a huge loss just given the the production that he had for Oregon and, and the gap between him and the rest of that room. So shoring up the cornerback spot, seeing what that's going to look like. Um, and then I'm also going to say uh, kind of figuring out that offensive line rotation or at least you know leaving spring ball with a, a really good idea of who your five to seven guys are uh, because that's obviously a group that has a tremendous amount of change um, and you're bringing in Elite Terry, Mike Cavanaugh, uh, to help out with that group. So it's those are kind of the three areas that I would think uh, probably need the most attention if I just have to go off rip. By the way, shout out my guy Blazer Duck for uh, that specific question. I, I think the biggest thing that you do in spring football is start to get an idea of where your depth chart is going to be. And also, here's the other thing that they, they can do, Max. There's another transfer portal window that opens, I think, sometime in May. It's only like a couple weeks long, but if, if, if I think I have that right. But there's another window, so they could look at, at what they do have at certain positions, and, and they could decide if they want to make changes or if they need to bring in other players. And th- this is a new thing, these dual transfer portal windows, so we don't really know you know, what sorts of players they're going to have access to at that point in time, right? I mean, we've seen the the caliber of players they're able to bring in in the here and now, but how many more will enter after spring football? What sort of departures might you have to deal with? Like, this is all stuff that is relatively new in, in the college football space. So I think that's 
another thing you're looking at as a staff is you're trying to figure out, you know, what position groups are, are we sure about who's at the top and, and what position groups are, are we not? Because I, I think there are some that are certainly easier to easier to look at than than others. I, I want to ask you about a recruiting question later in the show a, as well, but I want to stick with the, the, the spring kind of depth chart. So the last couple of days on the show, I laid out my predictions for who Oregon will probably have starting at wide receiver and offensive line. I'm going to do tight ends tomorrow, which is an interesting one, seeing as how there are only three scholarship tight ends on the roster, uh, I'm pretty sure, and and three walk-ons. So yeah, a lot of different ways that that, that could go. But let's start with the offensive line, which you hit on as one of the big priorities there. I, I think offensively, it should be the biggest focus for for Dan Lang, for his staff, everybody. Because I, I think it's really easy to incorporate skill guys into an offense, you know, learning a new playbook with with Will Stein there. But the offensive line is going to be at the center of everything you do. If your offensive line is no good, your offense isn't going to be a- any good. And they're going to have a new center, a new left tackle. I mean, they could they could be they got five different players across the board. It'll probably be four. I, I think we expect Stephen Jones will be there. But your, your thoughts on the offensive line as it stands right now, from what we know? Yeah, the, the offensive line is one of the more interesting groups for Oregon because it is a mixture of returners, guys that have played some good football for Oregon, and then some newcomers, whether that be from the portal or from the high school ranks. I don't think that there's. Um, really one high school signee that really stands out as someone I could probably see in the rotation as a true freshman uh, this year. Um, granted, we have to kind of dig more into that. You know, I got to talk to people you know, around the program that are, you know, familiar with the O-line, but um, I think that it's definitely a group with a lot of promise, right? You have Jackson Powers Johnson coming back. I think that either him or Marcus Harper are probably looking at your top candidates to take over for Alex Forsyth at that center spot um, because Jackson Powers Johnson did come into Oregon uh, as primarily a center guy out of Corner Canyon, but he has since kind of played all over the line uh, since he got to Oregon. But he's definitely one of the guys they're the most confident in. I know Elite Terry uh, played a personal role in recruiting JPJ to Oregon. So I know that those two guys are really excited to be working together again. And then Marcus Harper the second was probably one of the biggest success stories of that offensive line last year because he came in for an injured Stephen Jones uh, who got banged up really early in the season. And then he's back. So um, that's another starting caliber offensive lineman. Uh, all those guys really are. Um, but Stephen Jones and um, Marcus Harper are the guys who have you know spent the most time in that starting rotation for Oregon. Um, and then you have to talk about the transfers that come in. Uh, Johnny Cornelius from Rhode Island, arguably the top tackle in the transfer portal that was available this cycle. He primarily played right tackle, which is also where we saw Stephen Jones play a decent amount. So maybe we see a little bit of movement there. And then you also have Junior Angelau, who's been limited in spring practice. He had a, a season-ending knee injury that he suffered in fall camp for Tech before the 2022 Texas season started. So uh, he's working his way back to full health. He's probably a guy that projects to contribute on the interior, seeing that's where he mainly played when he was at Texas. And then the last guy that I have to mention, of course, is Josh Connerly Jr., who was highlighted as a guy who was standing out in the locker room as a leader by Dan Lanning during uh, the first week of spring ball. So... Um, I think it's it's a group that has a lot of promise, but um, you know, losing Adrian Clem, Vianne Talamayvau, who's now at Stanford, those are big, big losses that uh, we can't just kind of comb over. But uh, this is a group that has a lot of talent, and they should be another top unit in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think you and I are 
in lockstep agreement about Josh Connerly, which I, I, I want to ask you about. And, and also, uh, I'll give you my, my predicted starting offensive line based on what we know right now going forward. But we also really, really desperately have to talk about FanDuel, of course, because they're not the number two sports book in America. They're not the number three sports book in America. They are number one. The tournament is heating up, sadly tragically. Oregon's not in it. But if you wanted to bet on that, you could bet on their NIT games as well. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. The, the FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. If you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. I said yesterday on the show that I, I think Josh Connerly is kind of poised to make a leap in his sophomore year. And you see that all the time with, with players, particularly, I think, at the offensive line position, because a year in a college eating program and weight room, that, that does a lot. It can happen at any position, right? I think we saw the sophomore leap for Troy Franklin from his freshman year to his sophomore year. And I think Josh Connerly could be in that same sort of conversation where he contributed as a true freshman. You saw him, you saw the potential, but you know he was just kind of a, a role player. He wasn't fully involved, but now I think Oregon kind of needs him to step up, Max. And I, I heard you talking about him uh, the other day, and you feel kind of the same way. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, everything that you were saying makes a lot of sense. I think that he's poised for success and to take a step in his development. I think it's interesting to kind of see where he's ultimately going to fall in terms of, you know, the, I don't know if I should say the Oregon greats, but just the, the offensive linemen that have come through Oregon lately, because he has all the hype around him, the highest rated offensive tackle offensive lineman really to ever sign with Oregon. If I was looking yep. at the, the two, four, seven sports, you know, rankings the other day. Um, so naturally when you kind of have that distinction, you're going to get lumped in with the guys like Panay Sewell, um, who's, arguably the, the greatest offensive lineman to come out of the university. And uh, he was someone who started as a true freshman. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at goducks.com right now under his bio first Oregon true freshman offensive lineman to start the first game of the season since 1997. That was back in his freshman year, 2018. So a lot has happened with the Oregon offensive line position since Panay was here, obviously, um, and this is a new era at offensive line with all those vets gone from a season ago. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, what you were saying about him having a full off season under his belt played in every game in some capacity last year, which is great. I think that um, maybe it was a different situation where you kind of had more of a need for Panay to play early and also just being better than guys in the room. Um, so having a guy that's already played a lot of football, at Oregon is definitely going to be something that helps him. And he committed later in the process, you know, April of 2022. So this is a guy who didn't get to play spring last year. And, and Landing talked the other day about viewing the early enrollees as guys that kind of get almost additional redshirt year kind of a deal if they haven't been at Oregon before. So it's something that's really valuable. And I think that he's definitely poised to take that leap. What I'm going to be interested in, Spencer, is he played most of his ball at left tackle last year. Is Alik Terry going to be able to come out of spring and say, there's my left tackle. I trust a true sophomore to protect Bo Nix's blind side. Or do you have Steven Jones there? Or do you have a Johnny Cornelius there 
both guys that have seen a lot more football than Josh Connerly. So we'll have to see where, where that storyline kind of takes us as spring ball unfolds. And ultimately, if Connerly's going to be good enough, he'll get the chance. Because like you were talking about with Panay Sewell, remember, Oregon's offense was better with Panay Sewell on and off the field in, in 2018 as a true freshman. Like, that is a, a position that requires a high level of talent for an offensive lineman. But if you're good enough as a young player to start there, you, you should be able to get the opportunity. And I think Connerly, I mean, I mean, this is what you recruited him for, right? Well, you know, there's that video of Dan Lanning and the staff all fired up that they got his, his commitment and we already see, saw him on the field and now he's had an off season. You talked about and made a great point that he didn't even have spring ball last year to ramp up and still he was ready to contribute ahead of guys who had already been on the roster for the year. I just feel like it's it's kind of his time, and, and it feels like Oregon needs him to maximize his his individual potential that he had coming out of high school there. So I want your thoughts on on my predicted offensive line. I've got Connerly at left tackle. I think Steven Jones is at left guard. I think Jackson Powers Johnson is your center. Junior Angleau is at right guard, and I've got a Johnny Cornelius at right tackle. And then as your top reserves, I think you have Marcus Harper, who we saw, and by the way, with Angelo coming off an injury and Stephen Jones coming off a year in which he dealt with injuries, you need a guy like Marcus Harper who can play either guard and can go in and be more than serviceable, which he definitely is. I think Harper, Davey Uli, and then the junior college transfer, George Silva, will be the most likely offensive lineman to rotate in. What do you think about that? Yeah, I really like the the starting five that you have. Um, you know, Stephen Jones has played guard before. Uh, he was, I think he was playing right guard alongside uh, Sala at right tackle. So yep. they were kind of holding down that right side of the line when they were both healthy, but you know, injuries happen. You got to shake things up. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I would say I pretty much fully agree. The only, you know, maybe wiggle room that I see is, is maybe bringing in Harper for one of those guard spots. But you know, if you have more experienced options, um, maybe you don't need to start a guy like Harper, you know, maybe that's a luxury that Oregon's going to have. Um, because when I hear you talk about it like that, you know, maybe Harper is going to be a guy that can kind of function in a role similar to Dawson Jeremillo, who's no longer with the team. He, I think, transferred to North Carolina State, I want to say, but he was a guy that was super versatile and was um, able to come off the bench last year for Oregon. Um, that's That sounds like a weird phrase in football, but he was able to come in as a top reserve. Um, I, I don't know if I'm in the same boat of uh, seeing George Silva in the two deep. Um, just because, uh, you know, when I went out to interview him at Fullerton, he was talking about how he's still really, really new to football. This past season was actually his first full season playing football. Um, so I, I think it might be, uh, might not be too likely that we see him break into the two deep that early. I think maybe you see a guy like Faope Laulu, um, who's been around a little bit longer, um, break into that two deep. And then Dave Yuli is definitely another guy who, who came in with a lot of, um, acclaim, and a lot of uh, attention as a highly coveted guy, uh, someone who was committed to Oregon, backed off, and then got back in the boat uh, when Lanning was hired. So I think, you know, other than a couple of discrepancies here and there, I think that's pretty spot on. And, and for the most part, where I find myself leaning as we record this, uh, you know, in, in March. Yeah, so I, I, I had Silva in there because he's a tackle. And the other two guys who I think will be, you know, kind of your primary reserves, Harper and and Iuli are, are both guards. That, that's where they've played to this point. Now, 
a guy like Dawson Jaramillo, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up, not just because we went to the same high school, shout out Lake Oswego, but because he came into the games at times when, when called upon in the Mario Cristobal era at both guard and tackle. He, he did a little bit of both, and he wasn't quite starting caliber either, but he was definitely a, a competent backup, which is something that you absolutely need. Those guys are going to see the field. And I, I like the Feope call. If if you don't think George could be ready, which you know anybody's guess at this point, I just lean towards transfers tend to have an inclination. They'll have a chance to see the field, but I do think that, that Cornelius and, and, uh, and Connerly are, are your best options at tackles. But offensive linemen can take a while to to develop, to pop, right? To really build themselves out physically it can be true on the on the defensive line as well. So I, I like your insight there, and we, we've got a lot of agreement. Let's go to the wide receiver position because Jurion Dickey is not there yet, so he's not going to be where I think he'll be by the time he gets on campus. But when you take Dickey out, there's actually not that many receivers in in the room. And I wanted to ask you about that uh, before we get into the, the potential too deep there at wide, res- wide receiver. Gary Bryant Jr., USC transfer, was at Oregon over the weekend on his visit. I have warmed up slightly to the idea that they could add him to this room. What do you think about the prospect of bringing him in? Yeah, I think that uh, Gary Bryant's an interesting kind of guy to look at because he was one of the top guys coming out of high school. I want to say it was 2019 or 2020. I have to double check that, but he was a a top wide receiver, you know, all American caliber guy had Oregon as a finalist, but he gets to USC and, you know, they weren't that great with Clay Helton. Lincoln Riley comes in and he's like, I'm going to bring my guys with me. But in that 2021 season before Riley got there, Bryant was balling. Like he was doing his thing. He had some really solid production. Um, And then he kind of just got lost in the mix with uh with Riley there and ultimately took a red shirt. So if he wants to come to Oregon, I, I don't see why you don't take him just because um you want to add as you know if you can add a proven option versus a guy from high school that you have to develop a little bit more and isn't as sure. I, I think that's just pretty much at any position. Um that's gonna be where you often find yourself siding is you know I have a guy that's ready to go now. So why not bring him? But Oregon does have some, you know, a numbers game that they're playing right now, being over the scholarship limit still. I want to say that they're around 90, 91 is what I think last I saw they were at 91 after uh, Michael Afese medically retired. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the number that I think we're working with right now. So if if he wants to hop in, you definitely, you know, why not? Why don't you? Why not take him? Uh, I think it's kind of a luxury for sure. Um, And especially, you know, you really only have Troy Franklin and, Chris Hudson as guys who have done something for you uh, still in that room. Um, but then, you know, you have transfers coming in, you know, Tez Johnson's a guy that I'm, I'm being told is, is definitely raising some eyebrows so far, you know, not a lot of guys on the roster that move like him is kind of what I've been told from people close to the program. Um, so I think that it's a, uh, it's an interesting conversation to have. And and I'm, I'm in the camp that thinks that uh, Dickie's going to be in that rotation somewhere in some way, even though he's coming off an injury, Remind, remind ourselves that and he's going to be arriving late um you know just compared to the rest of the class but that's a guy he, he's going to be yeah. playing as a as a true freshman in some capacity yeah here, here's the thing with jerry on dickey i've seen him in person you've seen him in person he's already built out like he doesn't need 
He doesn't need to get in the weight room. He doesn't need to get a bigger frame or anything like that. Physically, he's going to be able to match up. Whereas you look at a guy like Ashton Cozart, could maybe, you know, put on a few pounds, right? Or when Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin came out of high school, you look at him and you said, okay, tremendous talents, might need to hit the weight. Jerion Dickey doesn't have that problem. And his ceiling, he's just, he's the most, I think, polished high school receiver that I've seen Oregon have. You know, I, I think Thornton and Franklin, both tremendous talents, were very raw compared to what Jerion Dickey is. His level of refinement as a wide receiver and understanding the position, I think is immense. He can line up inside, outside, yards after catch, contested catches. His route running is ridiculously good. He he is... He he's quite the talent, so I have a hard time seeing that he's not there. So, right, as things sit right now, and this could change, we'll reassess after spring football. I think your your depth chart going into next year is at the X receiver. You've got Troy Franklin first, and I think Kyler Casper will be behind him, who I also think has a ton of potential, and I hope gets a chance to see the field this year. I think at the Z receiver, you'll have Treshawn Holden and Jurion Dickey, and. I, I would not be shocked if that's almost a 50-50 split by the end of the year, even though Holden also has a lot of talent. And then in the slot, I think it's going to be an interesting battle. I think the most interesting battle is who's your number one slot guy, Tez Johnson or Chris Hudson? I think that's the biggest question for the wide receiver room. But what do you make of that depth chart? Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. Um, I mean, I'm really stoked about Jurion. You know, you said a lot of good things about him. I think one of the biggest differences between Jurion and Franklin is that you know, they both had really, really good production at the high school level. Jurion had a shortened senior season because of that injury that I mentioned. One of the games he was able to play in against Bellarmine, my my high school, you know, just absolutely sauced all over them. Um, but what I was going to say is that you they both have a lot of production that they brought from the high school level, but Jurion is physically ready. Uh, you did see Troy Franklin, you know, see a decent amount of playing time as a true freshman in 2021, but Oregon wasn't a passing team at right. all in 2021. Um, so I feel like 2022 was, you know, our first real glimpse of what Troy Franklin can do, but with jury on, like, that's what you're, what you were saying, you know, he's physically ready, you know, he's six, three, two ten ish, um, you know, just super, super built. And then Troy Franklin's, you know, six, two, I want to say he's like 175, 178, um, definitely on the lighter side, whatever the number actually is. We don't, we don't, we won't get updated, you know, frames, height and weight until probably fall camp is my guess. Um, but yeah, I think that that's pretty spot on the, the, um, the guys that you listed out, I think that, you know, the slot receiver Tez and, and Chris, those are the, those are the two that are probably going to be in that closest battle, uh, throughout spring, because, um, I think that Chris has had some really good production, but you want to, you know, see the scoring and see the touchdowns there. A lot of his production does come after the catch, which I think is a, is a plus. Um, but maybe Tez Johnson is just, you know, too twitchy of a guy. Uh, maybe that's what kind of gives him the edge over Hudson. But whatever happens there, I expect both of those guys to be involved heavily. And the more that I think about it, I think even though Oregon's wide receiver room is pretty unproven aside from Troy and uh, Chris Hudson, just like I said, because there's so many new faces there, um, I'm feeling better and better about the depth as time goes on, and especially if they can get Gary Bryant. But I think he has one more visit to Texas A&M is uh, the, what the reports are saying before he makes his decision later this month. Yeah, Bryant was a was a high four star recruit coming out of high school as well. His composite rating was like nine, j- just shy of ninety eight. So, you know, kind of in that Troy Franklin range, and he he showed that potential plenty at USC. They just 
have have got a lot of bodies in that wide receiver room who are, who are really talented. Uh, I want to wrap up today, Max, with a question that came in from from Nick P via the YouTube comments. And remember, Duck fans, you can always ask me a question. YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore fifty five or at Locked On Ducks. Mentions and DMs wide open there. So Nick says probably a boring question. False. We'll make every question exciting here on the show. That's literally our job. Looking ahead in your own crystal ball, who are the top three players the Ducks will land this cycle? He means 2024. Now, I think it's a bit early to talk about specific players. So I'm going to amend his question just ever so slightly and say, what are the top three caliber of players that Oregon can get in the 2024 cycle? And Max, I look at you know, what they did last year and then, you know, the unfortunate move of Kenny Dillingham causing him to lose Dante Moore. I don't think getting three players that are inside the top 50 or 75, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And I I think that's where Oregon should be shooting on the recruiting front. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was ready to kind of go for some specific guys if we wanted to go down Hey, by all means, no, fire fire away. If if we wanted to go down that area, um, I mean, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who listen to your show, Spencer, they also read me over on DucksDigest.com, which is where I always post, you know, my quickest updates. You know, that's the best way before I come on a show like this or, or my show. Um, I'm going to say one guy that I'm really feeling confident about right now is uh, Kamar Matuti. Um, I spoke with him yesterday and I was butchering his name. It's not Matuti, it's Matuti. Um, so he's from uh, Valley Village, California, uh, Campbell Hall High School, which is out in my neck of the woods, out kind of towards Hollywood area. Uh, he took his first visit to Oregon last weekend, and um, I, I feel really good about Oregon's shot there. He told me about how his uh, his commitment timeline had changed. Now he's trying to enroll early um, and maybe even uh, commit at the by the end of the summer. So that's a guy that um, honestly isn't super highly rated right now, but I think that after Oregon offered, you saw some other pretty big schools get involved. You saw Michigan, Nebraska, Utah, um, you know, out where you're at. So I think he's going to he's going to see his stock you know climb quite a bit on the recruiting trail. He's a top target for Oregon at linebacker along with Dylan Williams who's out of Long Beach Poly. Uh feeling really good about him as well. You know, he's a he's a top top guy in the 2024 class um at linebacker. I'm just trying to pull it up right now. I'm looking at their offers. He's number 122 nationally, so that's kind of gives you a, a good feel of where they're at um or where he's at rather. Um, so I feel really good about Kamar Matuti um, right now as things stand in the spring. Um, another guy that um, I think Oregon has a, a pretty decent shot with, although maybe it's a, a little bit more work has to be done, is Michael Van Buren. He's one of the better quarterbacks that's still available in this 2024 class. And it's a 2024 class, Spencer, that honestly isn't that deep at quarterback, certainly compared to the 2023 class. Like you know, Everybody's going to be going after Dylan Rayola. Oh yeah, everybody's gonna be going after him. He's yeah. gonna be in Eugene for the spring game, but I think huge, um, I, huge. I think I think USC definitely leads there. But he also went back to Georgia over the weekend. I want to say, um, so you know, USC, Georgia, Oregon, Nebraska, where his father went. Those are all some of the big, big schools that are involved there. Um, but uh, but yeah, Michael Van Buren out of St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. Um, we know that he's an early priority. Uh, he had a couple teammates that were out in Eugene this past weekend. Um, so Michael Van Buren for, you know, just to kind of caliber update, right. He's number 128 nationally on the two, four, seven sports composite number 11 quarterback overall. So I think that he's a guy that Oregon is could very realistically land. 
uh, in the 2024 class. And then the last guy that I'm going to mention and, you know, talk about caliber a little bit is Nate Frazier out of modern day. I mean, he, he is someone that I've talked to a lot and he is as good a back as you'll find in the country. And he, his stock is really starting to kick up now. He's 102 nationally, um, number eight running back on 247. Um, this dude has like every offer. They're all coming in. And Oregon was there early, which means something to him. So I feel really, really good about their chances with Nate Frazier. Another guy is uh, Jason Brown, who's the number one running back in the class. Um I, okay, I guess it depends what service you look at. He's number three on 247, but he's out of Washington, O'Day High School in Seattle. Um, he hey, loves, shout out O'Day. That's he, where my cousins went to high school. Exactly. There you go. So he's he's the highest rated running back that Oregon's in on right now. And I think that Oregon has a really good shot right now with Jason Brown as well. But if you had to, if I had to pick one or the other that I feel better about ending up a duck, it would for sure be Nate Frazier. So there's a couple names that we'll, we'll throw out to the listeners yeah. and, you know, just uh, trying to put you guys on as early as I can. Hey, that that's that's what we bring you on for. You're more tapped into the recruiting beat than, than I am. And, and by the way, just for reference for what I was talking about earlier, Oregon, until Dante Moore flipped to UCLA, did have three top 50 recruits. And, and I think losing a coordinator that causes you to lose a recruit like that is not super common. Like, it happens, but... That was definitely a rarity. So I, I think having three top 50 players, Jirion Dickey, Mateo Uyungule, the, the other ones in the 2023 class, I, I think that's a, a pretty reasonable reasonable goal for Oregon from a, a big picture standpoint. But we'll just have to keep bringing on my guy Max Torres, who covers Oregon for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. Always tapped in on the recruiting trail and love the insights too. Good to talk to you, Max. Thanks for having me on, Spencer. Appreciate it. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.